Blog Talk Radio. we can 
get a chance to spend time with one another, find out about our history. We'll find out that we actually have plenty in common. And if we focus on those things in common, then we can sort of move the ball up the field and get some get some wins, some W's on the scoreboard. And we also have uh, annual uh, monthly and, and weekly meetings. Uh, one of the annual events that we do is the Reverend Martin Luther King uh, uh, Jr. Candlelight Vigil that's uh, right around his birthday every, every year. Uh, every month we actually go out to the Dr. King Statue and Pavilion here in North Las Vegas at the corner of Martin Luther King Boulevard and Cary Avenue. And on that third Saturday, third Saturday of every month at 10 o'clock, uh, we try to have some fellowship in the community, and we clean up the statue and pavilion area. After all, it is ours. Uh, we also, on a weekly basis, have the gathering, and the gathering is at the Westside Bistro located at 710 West Lake Mead Boulevard. Once again, that's 710 West Lake Mead Boulevard inside of Nevada Partners, and that's right on the corner of Revere and Lake Mead Boulevard, and that was started by the late Sam Smith, some of us know him as the Oracle of Las Vegas. He's also a fire marshal, and he was the African-American bookstore owner that turned out to be a refuge for many. Uh, he started the gathering to go back to what all of this is about. Was He says, Rodney, we don't know much about one another, but if we took the time to learn each other's name and to know a little bit about one another, then it would break down barriers and and we have less fear of one another. And when we break down barriers that separate us and get rid of some of the fears that divide us, he said then is when we can actually work together to move forward. And that's what we try to do every Saturday, every Friday at 12 o'clock at the Westside Bistro. And it doesn't have a formal name. It's not an actual organization. It's an opportunity for folks to, to gather together, hence the name The Gathering, so I could call it something, identify it. And just meet and greet and really share uh, about one another and each other. So those are a little bit of things about Our Own Voices Live, the Speak Up Network. Of course, we have Brother Lee Vaughn that comes on Saturday morning, broadcasting out of B-More at 11 o'clock a.m. local time to Baltimore. And young brother, slightly slighter edge on it than I do because I'm having by about 15 or more years. But uh, if you get a chance, listen listen to that brother. He has some thought-provoking stuff. So that brings us to our topic today. And we have two topics, uh, and you're listening to Our Own Voices Live. And our two topics today are simply the movie Detroit and Purple Heart Day. Actually, it's National Purple Heart Day. And we'll start off with Purple Heart Day because I'm sure most of you probably don't know about Purple Heart Day. I'm sure some of you have heard about it in the news or you see the president occasionally pin a Purple Heart on someone. Maybe you have a family member who's been awarded the decoration of a Purple Heart. And, of course, we hear about it in military films. Well, the Purple Heart, what it is, it's a, it's a, it's a medal, a, a decoration that is given to uh, America's wounded or posthumously to America's war dead, and it's to commemorate their sacrifice. As a matter of fact, I wrote it up like this. 
The Purple Heart is a United States military decoration awarded in the name of the president to those wounded or killed while serving on or after April 5th, 1917, and it's with the U.S. military. And the reason why I says on after, because it was actually officially designated then, but it was based off of a decoration that George Washington gave to his troops during the Continental Army. Uh, is the oldest military award still given to U.S. military members. There, There's, I think, one or two I know there's at least one other decoration award that is older than the Purple Heart, but it's no longer given. So this literally is the oldest decoration, longest acting decoration in the United States military to date that is active. Uh, And National uh, Purple Heart Day is August 7th. So I believe that's Monday. So if you know someone that has a Purple Heart, uh, maybe that's a, a day to to recognize them. If you haven't talked to them in a long time, give them a call. Because oftentimes associated, well, you get the Purple Heart from a physical wound derived in combat. It could be laceration, something broken. Uh, you could have, you could have been shot. You could have been blown up, could have been shrapnel. Wounds associated with military conflict, including terrorist acts that were blown up in the Marine barracks in Beirut, uh, were uh, later authorized the Purple Heart. Uh, The Air Force people who were blown up in the barracks at Cobar Towers because it was a terrorist attack, they qualified for the Purple Heart, those who survived and those who made the ultimate sacrifice. And obviously, for those charging the beaches, whether it's in Okinawa uh, back in World War II, whether it's somewhere near the Maginot Line in France in World War I or Normandy, uh, Vietnam, whether it was during the Tet Offensive, and I believe the anniversary uh, of the, the 50th anniversary of the Tet Offensive is coming up uh, pretty soon. So maybe this is a, a, a moment a time that we, that you can take to reach out to those veterans because oftentimes associated with that physical wound is a mental wound that maybe we don't see or that it's manifested or manifests itself in ways that sometimes can push people away because of the war that they still carry with them. Sometimes that's their mechanism to be able to survive going through that horror again and again and again. As a matter of fact, today I actually attended an organization called the Military Order of the Purple Heart, and that is an organization uh, for the men and women who served our country and who were injured in combat and awarded the Purple Heart and they have, they call themselves patriots, and they meet the first Saturday of every month, the first Saturday of every month. Uh, the meeting actually starts at 10 and can last until noon, but they have breakfast from 9 till 10. 
So they have breakfast from 9 to 10. And they actually do this at one of my favorite places, and that's at uh, an IHOP. So the military ordered a Purple Heart, which is for members who have been awarded the military decoration called the Purple Heart. They meet at IHOP at 9651 Trailwood Drive, Las Vegas. Once again, that's 9651 Trailwood Drive, Las Vegas at 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock for breakfast and then 10 o'clock to up to noon to discuss uh, their chapter business. And I believe that's the Greater Las Vegas chapter number 711, 711 for luck, uh, believe it or not. And, you know, it's good to – I went out there this morning, and it was good to meet uh, the fellow patriots and to share a little bit and even just to hear where they served and where they uh, received their Purple Heart. You know, that was a, those were stories all by themselves, some with lasting physical injury, uh, others not so much, uh, but all of them were injured enough, which is an injury, a war wound, to earn them the Purple Heart. So I wanted to – I know there's a lot of people who may not want to talk about their service, and especially those who received a decoration like the Purple Heart for an injury. And that's understandable. I've been there. But I I still encourage everyone to reach out to those military members in your family, even if they don't have a Purple Heart. It's just a good opportunity to reach out to them and say hi, because we never know what they may be going through. And with suicide rates for veterans, I believe it's the highest in the nation for a particular group. Uh, They used to say 22 a day. Some people say it's up to 30 or more a day, but we know it's at least 22 a day. Uh, Sometimes those numbers fluctuate. And sometimes it's just good to to reach out to them and and let them know that you're thinking about them and say, hey, uh, maybe if you have a neighbor that you know is a veteran, especially one that has received a Purple Heart, maybe you can just go and, again, say hello and ask them how are they doing, they interested sit and chat with them for a spell. That might be, for some veterans, the only chat that they get. And sometimes it's a relief valve to those who are willing to be able to share their experience. And by them sharing that experience with you, literally you may have just saved the life and lowered that number from that day from 22 less or keeping it from growing above 22. So I wanted to take a little bit of time to share with you all a little bit about, well, first of all, simply that the fact that it is uh, National Purple Heart Day, August 7th, and hopefully to remind you all, to remind us that the day-to-day life that we live, no matter how good or in some cases how bad, it's not worse were willing to serve for us so that we can have these lives that we have. They estimate that there's about 1% of the American population that serve in the United States military, and about of that 1% of that, 1% that serve, uh, about 6% of them actually go into combat, combat, and then it's a much smaller number even of that group 
that are injured. So you're talking about a very, very small number of people who the phrase goes, all gave some, some gave all. And that's just such a small number. And so we have one day, August 7th, to recognize uh, all who gave some and some who gave all. Uh, and this, we recognize them by giving them, uh, awarding them the Purple Heart. And I know some people say that they don't believe in war. And for that matter, I'm not a fan of it either. But sometimes they are necessary. There's a movie, I see it's a TV show that comes on, and it's called Man in the High Castle, Man in the High Castle. And what it talks about is an alternate reality of, and this alternate reality is instead of the Americans and allied powers winning World War II, the Germans and the Axis powers won. And it shows you what America would be like occupied by the Japanese and the Germans. And one thing that that I noticed was that there's no black people in the East Coast, which is mainly the part that the Germans occupy, and that the people who are infirmed are killed. Those who become sick or infirmed after birth are asked to turn themselves in, to be euthanized, because that's what the German culture was back in World War II. But the elderly, they were sent to the chambers for the Jews and the blacks and other minorities. They were also sent the gas chambers in this alternate reality. And I thought, but that's not far-fetched because they, they could have won. And if they would have conducted themselves to the war as they did during the war, then those things portrayed would not be far-fetched. So I say that to say, for those who have the privilege of walking with a certain level of freedom in this country who say, how can anyone serve in the military? Or for my brothers and sisters who say, Rodney, how can you serve in the military in the way that they've treated us over all these years? And definitely it has not been good for hundreds of years. But I do say that this is where I am. This is where my family has been and still is. And I know that had we not had folks like the Tuskegee Airmen and the Buffalo Soldiers fighting in World War II and World War I for the Buffalo Soldiers, that, first of all, we wouldn't be here to be able to talk and try to change the things that happened to us, try to right the wrongs, because those other folks were even worse. And the struggle from the sacrifices of those who came before us to still push America to be what it says that it is on paper, 
in the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. But we wouldn't be able to do that had we not gone and fight, because if you know the history, you find out that in World War I, the stevedores, which were mostly blacks and other minorities, moved more equipment. They were logisticians. And they moved more equipment than in the history of the world as we know it, which allowed, because as many of you know, wars are fought, they say, often through your stomachs and from your, off your back. You know, somebody has to move that equipment. Somebody has to provide that food. Logisticians did that. They were called stevedores back in the day. And most of them, a good percentage of them were blacks because blacks in the American military were considered cowards and not worthy to fight and not even capable to fight, even after we've showed many times, whether it was during the Civil War with people like Crispus Attucks, whether it was with the Spanish-American War when Teddy Roosevelt was losing, and then he called on the Buffalo Soldiers, and they came and they literally took San Juan Hill. As a matter of fact, Teddy Roosevelt had to sort of call him back and slow him down so he and his white counterparts could catch up and then walk in front as if to show that they were the ones who defeated and were victorious in that war. World War One with the stevedores and how we had people who were aviators who flew for France. I believe the brothers Eugene Bullock and received their highest decoration. We have, and, and this went on through World War II until eventually we had the Tuskegee Airmen that escorted those bombers and transport aircraft and never lost an aircraft. It was victorious, helped to secure that America and the Allied powers won and even though things were bad for us when we came back home, it was still better than if the Japanese or at the time or the Germans had been victorious. So I just want to remind people of the history so that we don't get it confused, we don't get it twisted, and so that we do recognize the contributions that everyone made. And I wanted to do this segment first because many of you know who's been following the radio show, know that we did a segment on Black Wall Street, the massacre at Greenwood. And in that story, it talked about veterans putting on their uniforms, people who had possibly served with some of the folks who were rioting and massacring blacks. And these black veterans put their uniform to show that, look, you know, I served. And in spite of that, the rioters, and this, in this case the rioters were white, killed them anyway. And we know that after World War One, after World War Two, even after the, uh, during the Vietnam War when our people, especially our black brothers and sisters, came home, there were still atrocities. We didn't fight for the atrocities. We fought for our first and foremost our survival. And then we fought 
to push the American government and the American people for the rights that those so-called founding fathers said were inalienable rights. In other words, they're not something that man gives you. They're something that is yours simply because you are. Those same rights were supposed to be African-Americans simply because they are Americans. That's what they were fighting for. And the fight still goes on today, this day. And we should never forget that, the sacrifices that others made so that we can live the lives that we live today. I want to remind people of that because we need to remind people of that just as the Jews need to remind people of the horrors of their Holocaust. Then as African Americans, we need to remind other Americans of our Holocaust here in America. And just like as I was at the meeting today for the military order, the Purple Heart, there was a couple of the brothers that were there who were recipients of the Purple Heart. They were Native Americans, Hawaiian, Latino, Hispanic. They were all there. They all fought. They all earned the right to be called Patriot, Patriot of America, because they fought in Americans' wars. They sacrificed their blood. Some gave their lives. Some no longer here. Some are blind because of the injury. Some lost a limb or multiple limbs. Some were injured and need assistance walking and need wheelchairs or motorized scooters. The list of injuries could just go on and on. And we talked about PTSD, and we cannot talk about PTSD without talking about TBI, traumatic brain injury, that we see a lot more with our soldiers and our military personnel who served in the Gulf Wars. Me being one of them, have a traumatic brain injury, as well as PTSD. I say that just to remind you, you're not always able to look at people and tell. Sometimes you're not able to hear them and even observe them and tell that they have PTSD and or TBI, that they fought in this country's wars. And many times, they, we suffer in silence, still we suffer. So I wanted to take some time to recognize that this coming Monday, August 7th, is National Purple Heart Day. And I want to read from you a little something about what George Washington had to say about the Purple Heart or formerly the Badge of Merit. And he says, of the badge of military merit, and this is quoting General Washington, the general ever desireth to cherish a virtuous ambition in his soldiers, as well as to foster and encourage every species of military merit, directs that 
whenever any singularly meritorious action is performed, the author of it shall be permitted to wear on his facings over the left breast the figure of a heart in purple cloth or silk, edged with narrow lace or binding, not only instances of unusual gallantry, but also of extraordinary fidelity and essential service in any way shall meet with a due reward. Signed, General George Washington. So there lies the origins of the Purple Heart, or originally the Badge of Merit. Those are the words of a president, and if you if you get a chance to see a Purple Heart, I put it in the uh, on my Facebook page as well as in the uh, media page for this broadcast. There's an image of the Purple Heart, and it's as he described. It has an image of George Washington. It has three stars because there was no four-star generals back then to be representative of George Washington. And it does have a heart with President Washington's profile surrounded, and and the heart shape is purple, surrounded by gold facing. And then it hangs from the purple uh, sash. That is the purple heart. And the phrase is, all gave some, some gave all in recognition of their sacrifices. So that's a little bit of history, uh, current history, as well as past history on the Purple Heart, those who received that award, important, why I hope you feel it's important. I hope that you'll reach out to someone that you know that has it. If you happen to be the inheritor of it, something that was passed down from one generation to the next, I hope that you will cherish that because as you hold it or you display it, that was awarded because of the sacrifice of blood. And what greater sacrifice is there than when a person sacrifices their life for their fellow man? The Purple Heart. You're listening to Our Own Voices Live. I'm Rodney Smith in the solo in the air chair today. And we had two topics, uh, the movie Detroit and what discussed Purple Heart Day, which is August 7th. We just got through talking about Purple Heart Day. And then our next topic was the movie Detroit. I don't know if y'all had a chance to see that movie. But if you haven't, I'm strongly encouraging you to go see that movie. It is a movie about America's former fifth largest city, Detroit, Detroit, Michigan. And at that time, Detroit had about a population that was about 40% African-American. Today, it's about 80%. But back in 67, it was about 40% African-American. 
And, you know, this was the 60s, early. You know, things things were tough then. Jim Crow had just recently been outlawed, but even though it had been outlawed, many of the of it were still in place, and it hasn't gone in. It didn't go into effect every place, and the most important place that it hadn't gone into effect was in people's minds. And just as we talked about with people who fight wars, who have PTSD, and when we have issues of the mind, a law does not overwrite that issue. And this was after a time, and in a tradition, transition time, when racism in America was legal. Prejudice was legal, was legal. As a matter of fact, some say it was open season on that group of people because if you killed an African-American and you were the majority population, a Caucasian, a white person, most of the time the case didn't even come to trial, especially if you're in the rural South or some more of our suburban states, our rural states. Atrocities were committed, and there was no penance. There was, there was no action because there was no punishment. It made it open season on black people, on African Americans. The movie Detroit highlights the mindset of people then, and I'm going to submit to you of people today. Because even though laws have gotten rid of Jim Crow on the books in most cases, it did not erase the Jim Crow mentality from the minds of white people. Many of the things that black people, that African Americans had spoken about when it came to the authorities, law enforcement, the police, Back then, there was no phone cameras. There was no store cameras. There was no intersection cameras to capture it. So if a person was had some drugs or a weapon planted on their person or around them, then the officer could simply say, hey, he pulled the knife or he had a gun, so I had to shoot him. And that was their get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, some people will say, Things really haven't changed too much today. We see the news and we see the number of police killings of African Americans and others, but primarily of African Americans. Well, I'm not going to go so far as to say things have not changed because many of them now know to turn the cameras off, even though they're forced to wear them, or to stand in front of the camera or to put the hood up of their police cruiser so that the camera cannot capture what's going on. So the mindset have not changed in many instances. Now, some people it has, but in a large number of people it hasn't. And I would submit to you that when you think of what's going on today and you watch this movie, Detroit, 
You can see in the actions of law enforcement how African Americans were viewed and treated by law enforcement as well as civilians. There's a video, I was hoping I could get the audio clip for it before the show started, but because I went to the military or the Purple Heart meeting, I wasn't able to. But what it talks about is it talks about a, uh, it's a BBC newscast that talks about surveys and studies that was done of how white people, Caucasians, thought of black people, of African Americans. And this was done, it, it appears this was done in about the early 60s, maybe late 50s, but it looked really more like the early 60s to me. It was something I'm familiar with. And the reason why I bring this up is we talk about the movie Detroit, because really the movie Detroit is based on the conduct of law enforcement and others based off of racism. You, there's, And I don't want to give too much away, but when blacks would be shot, they may use phrases as he's trying to run away as, well, what a specimen, as if almost not talking about another human. And if the police officers were ever called on their actions, if you listen to the language that they use to discount the life of the person that they took, in some cases arbitrarily shooting people, not even knowing whether they were dead or not, but shot them because they were black or shot them because there were blacks rioting. So they assumed that if you were black, you must be a rioter. Therefore it's authorized to shoot. Those were attitudes then. And I dare say those are some of the same attitudes today. The video clip of the study from the BBC news show, what it did was it talked to individuals back then, white people, Caucasians, and it asked them, what did they think about black people? Now, the, the reason why I wanted to put this as part of this show was because if you, for example, the NAACP uh, put out a, in a, a travel alert about Missouri. And if you look at the comment on Facebook by white people about black people, NAACP, but black people themselves. If you look at the comment in the when the news posts these types of things on the news page, the things that people say in those comments, and it's not just the NAACP, it's if a, a black person is shot by the police, same comments. Well, he shouldn't have been stealing, whether they were stealing or not. If he ran, they'll say he shouldn't have run. They'll say, well, the police officer was justified because he was running, so he must have done something. These are comments today. They'll say things in, in the video. It said, well, we don't want to live by it. They don't know how to take care of the children. They're lazy. And as they're saying that, you make you have to go pause and say, wait a minute. Didn't y'all bring them here so that they could do all of your work, so that you could be lazy? I just wanted to insert that because I think that we have to push back against this false narrative 
Because when you say something long enough, it becomes your reality. So it doesn't make a difference whether it is actually real, but because you say it enough, you actually start believing it. It's just as if you can program a person by telling them the same thing over and over again. You can say, hey, y'all are lazy, y'all are lazy, y'all are lazy. You can put it in media. You can have it in schools. You haven't contributed anything because through omission, it doesn't show the contribution of black people in the history of this world or this country. So then maybe some of them actually do believe it and act on it. And then the same people who perpetrated it say, see, I told you so. And even though they're the ones who orchestrated it. See, yes, we have to push back. And I know there's even a protest of black people that say you shouldn't go see the movie Detroit. And I push back on that, too, and I say, no, just the opposite. Because they say, well, white people need to go see it. No, brothers and sisters need to go see it. Frederick Douglass told us that if we do not stay up on this, if we do not keep pushing, freedom will be fleeting. Freedom will be fleeting because we'll forget. They'll forget. And when you forget history, it's bound to repeat itself. And we have history to bear that out. In the movie Detroit, I encourage you to take your family. I don't, it doesn't make a difference whether you're black, white, Latino, Hispanic, Asian. Take your families to see the movie. Because it'll make for a great opportunity to have a discussion. It, in some cases, might be an opportunity to see your reflection. The riot in Detroit starts because of police raiding the Hours Club. Can you imagine that? Simply because, first of all, raiding a club, people congregating together, but they were black people. And it was the treatment or the mistreatment of the people that angered the folks in Detroit, the black people in Detroit. And from that, things spiraled out of control. They had, they were, it was a pressure cooker already, and that wound up being that last straw that broke the proverbial camel's back. And it sort of focuses on a very popular singing group in the 60s and early 70s called the Dramatics, people who I like a lot, who I listened to as a kid. I'm from that era. And it talks about the story of, I believe it was the road manager or stage manager and one of the singers. I believe his name is Larry Mays, but, but look that up to verify. And they're supposedly performing that night at the Fox Theater. Those of you who are from Detroit, everybody knows about the Fox Theater still there. But they were supposed to be performing at the Fox Theater, and the riot happened. And according to the movie, I don't know how accurate this part is to history. But before they could perform, it was shut down. So they they head home, and on the way home, the bus that they're on is attacked, and they see the rioting, and they see the abuse of people by the authorities. 
and they're trying to get away, but they still have a hankering to perform, and they're looking for a safe place because the bus they're on is under attack. And they wind up going to the Algiers Hotel. And I've given, you know, some of the storyline away, so I don't want to go any further with that. But I do want to say that the things that you see afterwards, the attitudes of the people before then and afterwards, goes right along with the comments that people say today anytime black people speak of injustices to them. And it, it is the same thing that's spoken today in almost the same words that were in the movie Detroit about the riot in 1967. The same languages, the same language that was used about the people, about black people, by white people in 1967 is the same language, the same words that are used today in social media about black people. Almost verbatim. As a matter of fact, the script from Detroit, when it came to white people talking about black people, could have been taken from today, 2017, to be representative of what was said back in 1967. These are everyday people. These are people that we know. These are people that we work with, sometimes that we supervise and maybe supervise us, but that's their attitude today. It's not 1967. That's the attitudes today, and it comes out. Some people say our president, our current POTUS, bought it out. No, it was always there. Now, there is probably a little more, a little more, vocalization of it it's probably a little bit more physical, visible but it isn't because it's something new it always was there it didn't go away from 1967 to 2017 50 years look at the post travel ban by the NAACP for Missouri and look in the comment section read it you don't even have to like read like a whole bunch of them to get to it because it's immediate. It's, and then when you go watch this movie, you will remember that the words that you just read in 2017 are the same words that were portrayed in this movie called Detroit from 1967. And then if you look at the clip on the Our Own Voices page where we're talking about this, and I'll put it, I'll put it on the our own voices live uh, Facebook page event page for the show today. It is a report by the BBC of a study that's done in America from the words of white people's mouths themselves as they talk about how they feel about black people. And then it gives statistics. Not only do the people themselves verbalize their thoughts of their fellow Americans who are black, not only do they verbalize it, but they give the statistics that go along with their verbalizations. And those same sentiments that they had then in 1967 are, and that were displayed in, in the movie Detroit, those same sentiments are displayed today, prominently displayed in social media. Some of the same conduct of police officers, law enforcement, that were displayed in the movie Detroit 
those that you see in the movie Detroit are the actions that the people want the police to conduct. Then, and if you read the comment sections of media posts today, they are the same actions. They're the police officer, they're the judge, juror, and executioner all in one as fellow white Americans. Dr. King said that racism was a sickness. And I remember when I heard that some years ago, I listened to it, and I started doing some research and studying, and I went through my own experiences. Got out the old DSM four, three, four, and five. And I sometimes fellow black people don't appreciate me saying this, but I am going to say it. Racism is a sickness. White supremacy is a sickness. And it's one that we have not addressed. And because we have not addressed it, it has been allowed to fester. It has been allowed to purpose to uh, replicate itself, and it's become almost perpetual. And I predict that it will continue to replicate itself and perpetuate itself in American society until we address it. And this movie Detroit, the comment on in social media about anything when it deals with black concerns. And then the video clip of the BBC News broadcast of data and the words out of white people's own mouths then are the same as they are today and tells us that, yes, laws were passed. And for those who say, well, things are better and get over it, the problem is white people have not gotten over it. And they're the ones with the true power. And until they get over it, we can never get over it because we'll make all the rules. Detroit, the movie, you have to go see it. I want you to go see it. Disregard those people who say, nah, you shouldn't support it because it's a film made by white people that depicts black people. All right, there was no black person that made the film, so we have this film. Go see it. Learn from it. Share with it. If you have friends of, that are multi, you know, you, you, our friend list is usually multicultural, multi-ethnic. It's a great opportunity, a great time for, take, ask your, your white friends to go with you. If you're white and you're thinking about going to see the movie, ask your black friends to go with you. It's, it's Saturday. Go, go tonight. Go today. Go tomorrow. Maybe have some food afterwards and sit down and talk about what you saw. Look at the video. Look at the comments. So that when we say that things are as they are and we always get the pushback, you can see it for yourself. Make it real to you. Because we need you to be the best that you can be so that we can be the best that we can be and be full contributors to this country. And then maybe 
some of the things that many of you do, maybe not even realizing you do it because it is in your subconscious. We'll never get over it until we address this head on. This movie takes a hard look at a small frame in time of American history and the ugliness that was demonstrated by one group of Americans against another. That was not just that incident, but it has been incidents throughout the history of this country up until today. And the attitudes, this is the key, the attitudes that are associated with the actions. The actions are bad enough, but the actions come about because of the attitude. I'll go so far as to say, suggest, and I need someone to do their doctoral thesis on this. I guarantee you'll get it. If you do your doctoral thesis, you will find and research today are the same as back then, and that the reason why is because we have not addressed it and we perpetuate it in our education system, our media, even in our homes. And that the black condition that is less than what it should be has a lot to do with the racism of yesterday that is still clear and present today. And that doesn't mean that black people shouldn't still push. Frederick Douglass said we should push and we should be in the front pushing. And I believe that. Oftentimes you all have heard me say that in order to fix this, we're not able to go into people's houses and we don't own media. But one thing we can control is our education, our schools, our curriculum. And you know I've called multiple, multiple times for the t- integration and incorporation of Africans like African-American history and culture throughout all curriculum and all publicly funded schools pre-K through 12th grade in institutions of higher learning like colleges and universities. Until we do that, I don't mean a class and elective, includes the contributions of African and African Americans throughout history of the world and throughout this country. If we want to change this, not just the law, but change hearts and minds, that's what it's going to take. Until we do that, both will continue to suffer. But I warn you, the suffering will increase for both as well. Our chickens, the racism, prejudiced, white supremacist chickens, they will come home to roost. The movie Detroit shows it. Your doctoral thesis should be, I'll give you another tidbit, that when we hear police talk about they're afraid of black people, when we hear people, when they describe black people as magical, as animals, as specimens, as demonic, demons, possessed, when we hear that, and therefore they were forced to act in a violent manner, regardless of whether the person was fleeing, handcuffed, surrendered with his hands above it doesn't make a difference whatever the case may be 
you you will find my suggestion to you doctoral candidates out there that are willing to take this on is that you will find that our law enforcement agencies and specifically our police departments are a physical manifestation of the thoughts, concepts, and ideas of the average Caucasian slash white American. And they have a gun, they have a badge, a sign of authority, and we get to see those anxieties, average white American, acted out through law enforcement today. There's your doctoral thesis. Please give me a copy when you're done. Well, I wanted to talk about the movie Detroit, and it is a must-see movie. I saw it at a screening, uh, I believe it was Thursday. I encourage you all to go see it. it. It opened up yesterday. I encourage you all to go see it. Monday, I believe it's at 4 or 6 o'clock, there's going to be a discussion uh, town hall, and it's going to be actually at 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock p.m. Monday, a discussion about the film and our community right here in Las Vegas, I believe it's being hosted by the uh, 100 black men and maybe the 100 black women. And, yep, it's the National Coalition of 100 Black Men, 100 Black Women, uh, Detroit Connection, and they're going to have a discussion. And they're going to they, – we have a large uh, Michigan and specifically Detroit community here in Las Vegas. I don't blame them. It's cold there. It's warm here. And they're going to discuss that, and they're going to discuss it at the 100 Academy. And I hope you will go see the movie this weekend. Have your own discussions before then, but if not, on Monday from 6 to 8 at the Imagine 100 Academy of Excellence located at 2341 Comstock Drive, North Las Vegas. That's 2341-2341 Comstock Drive, North Las Vegas, 100 Academy, August 7th, Detroit, a discussion about the film in our community. And I'm going to bring some of these issues up if I get a chance. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to our broadcast today of Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes on every Saturday. And today we talked about the movie Detroit. And Monday, also August 7th, is Purple Heart Day. And I strongly encourage you to reach out, reach out to a veteran, especially one that you know that was in combat and even more so one that you know that was injured and received a, a Purple Heart. Spend time with them. Call them. Send them a card. Send them a text, uh, an email, a Facebook message, an Instagram, something. Recognize them. Remember. And as you do that, again, go see the movie Detroit. And I'm going to post that, that, uh, that BBC report of those sentiments that were in, 19, in the early 1960s that were the same in 67 during the Detroit riot. That's the same today. I'm going to post that on, uh, as a link on the Facebook page for today's show. And today's show is called The Movie Detroit. 
and the Purple Heart. You've been listening to Rodney Smith with another episode of Our Own Voices Live that comes to you every Saturday. We try to get it on to you as close as 12.30 afternoon as possible. On behalf of myself and Mrs. Angela Thomas, we thank you for tuning in. We ask you to share this. Again, strongly encourage you to go see the movie Detroit and also participate in the discussion at 6 o'clock on Monday at Imagine Academy of Excellence. Imagine 100 Academy of Excellence at 2341 Comstock Drive, North Las Vegas. Well, everybody, that is it for us. I'd love to read some comments about our show today on our Our Own Voices Live Facebook page, preferably the event section for today's show. We'll see you next Saturday. Bye-bye.